Most people who do business development or sales attend a number of conferences and large events per year. When the pandemic started, most conferences and events were canceled or postponed. And as the pandemic dragged on, conferences and events all turned virtual. Virtual conferences and events had a lot to offer. They were accessible, more affordable, more sustainable, mostly due to the fact that we weren't traveling great distances to attend them. And they also took a lot less time out of our schedules. Welcome to episode 55, where I am joined by Hillary Needle to discuss the future of conferences and events, what they will look like, and how we can get back to big in-person events safely. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding, marketing, and PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, LA, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at nickersoncos.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. What virtual conferences and events lacked was the personal aspect of attending them. The new connections you make, having serendipitous conversations, the shared bond of experiencing that conference in that location. There is an entire chapter in my book dedicated to teaching you how important in-person conferences are. It's titled, How to Conference Like a Badass. I recently attended my first in-person conference since the pandemic began. It was a hybrid conference with 500 people allowed to attend the in-person conference and hundreds joining virtually. The in-person conference took place over the course of three days in Las Vegas. Let me just tell you that Las Vegas was not the location I would have chosen as my reintroduction to conferencing. It was 117 degrees the day I landed and the heat never abated. It was like spending three days in Satan's armpit. Add to that that Vegas was exhausting and overstimulating before COVID. So, having just experienced my first in-person large gathering, which was wonderful and not so wonderful all at the same time, I wanted to have a discussion on how we can get back to big in-person events and conferences and feel comfortable doing so. And to also discuss what is the future of large events? Will there always be a virtual option to every event or conference going forward? To answer this question and so many more, I have asked Hillary Needle to join us. Hillary is president of Hillary Needle Events and has more than 20 years of senior management expertise in event planning. In 2013 and 2015, Hillary was named one of the top 50 most influential women in business by Long Island Business News, and in 2019, she was inducted into the Hall of Fame. She has been featured in numerous articles and is a frequent radio and television guest. Hillary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. We have so much to talk about, especially me coming off of the heels of this in-person conference. But I want to ask you, are you seeing a lot of enthusiasm around returning to big in-person events or is it more trepidatious around that? I think everybody is excited at the prospect that we've been in a position of, of turning this corner. Mm-hmm. However, now with the new Delta variant coming, it's a week-to-week emotional roller coaster for everybody. 
deciding and picking and choosing where they want to spend their in-person time. I think people are just, instead of that knee-jerk reaction to accepting every invitation that comes our way, we really sort of think about who's going to be there and what is our goal? What do we want to get out of this attendance? And is it worth it? What's the ROI for you? When I was in Vegas, I felt very comfortable at the conference. We wore buttons that were red, yellow, and green. So green meant, and they were like named after songs. So green was, let's get physical. Yellow was, it's tricky. And red was, I can't, I can't even remember. Anyways, I can't remember what red was. But that showed a visual representation of your comfort around shaking hands, being close to each other, face-to-face conversation. You know, what can... What can event planners do besides things like that to just make people feel really comfortable heading back into something that we haven't done in a year and a half? Exactly. I mean, that's a really creative solution. And I think people are sort of making up the rules as they go. And I think communication is the most important thing you can have with your guests up front, before, during, and even after. So when you put out an invitation or you're putting together your marketing materials for your events, It's important to communicate what your vibe is, what you're going to be doing to make sure that they feel comfortable to sign up or not. And it's really just being completely transparent and knowing that as the guidelines keep changing, if there is a change to communicate with your guests and to update all of your materials that way. And even at the event, if you want to have signage and let people know, I think people just need to know what to expect yeah. when they get there. Yeah. So to eliminate, because it's, it's awkward now re-entering those gatherings, those large gatherings. Yeah. Do I shake this guy's hand? Do I give this one a hug? Is this one going to high five me? <laughs> you know, every, and everybody's sort of feeling their own way. So I don't think people are really judging anybody. I, I think yeah. I, spinning this to a positive, it's a bonding experience for people coming back out into the world. Mm-hmm. How are you? How's your family? How did your business survive? Yes. You know, how did you cope? How did you manage? So everybody has this universal common trauma that we've all lived through and coming out of and reinventing ourselves post COVID. As soon as the vaccine came out, I started getting books for in-person speeches in the fall. And now I'm wondering, are those going to happen? Like, how are we planning things when everything, like, we don't know. I don't foresee a lockdown, but I'm sort of foreseeing like something happening in the fall. Like, how are we planning events right now? Well, first of all, events are all going to be planned in a hybrid capacity. So if you're going to a large corporate event or a large nonprofit gala, I have several live events that I am planning right now for October and November. All of them have a plan B. So Mm -hmm. back in the spring of 2020, when we didn't know what was happening, no one had a contingency. No one, nobody knew how to use Zoom, (laughs) right? Yeah. So so now there is an advantage that everybody is familiar with the platform Mm -hmm. and and knows what to expect. And I think the smart... um, corporate planners and the smart event planners and the smart charities are all having a plan B and how do we go hybrid? So this one event in particular, it's a large nonprofit gala, it's a fundraiser. And instead of scripting out the awards program and the run of show, 
we're scripting it and I'm scripting it to sound live and to pre-tape everything. So if we, two weeks before the event, if we need to pivot this and go virtual, my program is contained and it's a half hour TV show instead of being in a ballroom eating a salad and watching somebody up on a stage, it's the same experience, the same messaging is going out and we build in donation components to the program. So people can text to donate from wherever they are and watch it. So how can people who are putting together either conferences or events, how are we working around booking ballrooms? We're putting in deposits. How can people start putting events together and feel comfortable about not losing the investment that they've put into reserving a space? It's it's tough because from the venue's perspective, they don't want to lose the income. So everybody puts in a deposit and they have all these force majeure uh, clauses in their contracts. Mm, yeah. So that protects them should a lockdown happen. But every venue I've worked with, every every rep has been more than accommodating. They don't want to lose the gig. Mm-hmm. So if it's a corporate event or an annual nonprofit event, they'll just bump you to the next year. You pick another date, they hold the deposit. And we, right. you know, if we had to hit pause, we do. Yeah. So also contracting with and having the proper AV so you can, you are going hybrid during the event. That's a given. And you can welcome people virtually as well. And there's been a real benefit to that in terms of people from a networking perspective. I'm very involved uh, with Hofstra University. I'm the president of their alumni association. And I started in January of 20. So we haven't had physical meetings. And there's 140,000 alumni across the globe. Right. And you know, I'm running these meetings, but I was able to talk with people in London and in California and across the country, people I never would have met before who are now engaged and interested. So that's been a real bonus. I I completely agree with you. Uh, There were people that I were able to meet in networking situations during the past year and a half who I would never have had access to if we weren't doing everything virtually. And part of me is wondering what events will stay just virtual? Because we do love the fact that depending on where we are time zones, you can be in a meeting with somebody in London and also somebody on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And that was, that was amazing. Like that, I remember, Very that, cool. like, I hope we don't lose this part of it, but I'm not exactly sure how we keep it going after, after, you know, humans have a tendency for amnesia. And so like in two years, when we are past this, I hope that we keep this global networking thing that's happened. I think we can. If, if you have your big annual organizations conference, mm-hmm. just, you know, maybe do a quarterly micro event or a pop-up event where you're inviting those attendees to Zoom back in and connect yeah. and, and tie it into the past event and looking forward to the future event. So we know we can all do this, mm-hmm. so it's not that difficult to create these little pop-up events that can connect people while they're waiting to go face-to-face again. Where do you think people stand? This is a bit of a controversial question, and I'm just asking because I'm the event that I went to in Vegas, I was fully vaccinated. We don't know who was vaccinated and who wasn't there. We were given an email about a week after the conference that 10 people at the conference had contracted COVID while in Vegas. 
And the vast majority of them were fully vaccinated and still got COVID. Part of me is wondering, can we, will there be events in which you cannot come unless you are fully vaccinated? Do we see that happening? There, there, it's a, if it's a private event, mm-hmm. the company, the organizer can make those decisions um, because nothing is government mandated. Right. The venues are not going to put those restrictions out yeah. to their clients. So it's really up, up to each organization to make that decision on what they want. You know, I know organizations that require not only the attendees to show proof of vaccination, but the wait staff, the catering, the valets. Mm-hmm. And I felt comfortable to go to something like that. Whereas if it wasn't that way, maybe I'll think twice. Right. And before making my decision. So it's a very individual, um, sensitive and complex question that everybody sort of has to find their own way and what's going to work for them. But being transparent about it is the most important thing. So if you're running a networking conference or a networking event for 300 people, before I click yes to make my reservation, I'm looking for language like, and by me, not Hillary me, but just the general population right. is looking for some, what will this uh, event be like for me to go there? How far in advance before in a, a big conference or event do you think we need to start that communication? The day that the invitation comes out. The yeah. Moment, okay. Your messaging has to be spot on. You know, obviously guidelines are subject to change. And as they change, you update in real time. And that's a beautiful, the beauty of of being in a digital world, we can, in 30 seconds, we can make an update and shoot it out to everybody. Um, I think gathering people's cell phones is a great way, if they're willing, to opt into a text message alert system for for frequent updates or you just send your emails. I think the venues would appreciate that as well as the other attendees. I was going to go to this conference anyways, but they did tell us in advance that we would all be wearing these buttons and they said what the buttons meant. They also talked about how many hand sanitizing stations there will be at the conference, how they would be dealing with food. So when we had food, there was an area where if you were masked and you weren't comfortable eating around people that were unmasked, you were in a special spot in the room versus people who were unmasked. Like that wasn't asking, are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? Mm-hmm. It's just asking, what is your level of comfort eating with people? So they did everything right. This this organization did everything right, right and still people and and still people got sick. And but I do I do blame Vegas. I, I blame Vegas because I remember I walked into the hotel to check into my hotel room and I texted my husband and I immediately, I was like, I'm already uncomfortable because there were so many people. Yeah. I know that they chose Vegas as a location four years or more before COVID right. ever hit and they couldn't move the venue. I understand that, but there are easier places to have your re-entry than Vegas. Right. That was a that was a real throw you in the pool moment. Yeah. I have another organization that I'm really, really involved in and they have a conference in September in Vegas and they keep asking me if I'm going and I'm like, no, I did it once this year and that's I can't do it again. Right. It's 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 a, a live and learn process. Yeah. Yeah, it's just everything is just so um, delicate and fragile right now. And people's emotions are all tied into this. And people have lost loved ones and had everything in their whole world impacted. So 
I think that sounds like they did everything they possibly could to make it as safe and comfortable. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen happens. But if you can prevent disaster by checking certain boxes in advance, do so. What about contact tracing? I know that's a big thing when somebody finds out that they're positive, but in an event with 500 people, how do you effectively contact trace? That's really up to the venues to do that. If they're going to, back in the day when they had to do that, that's what they were doing. And that was their ruling. And it had nothing to do with the organizations or the clients or the planning. I think everybody now has to just be mindful and that if they went and got a haircut and found out that their haircutter was positive, do what you have to do to check yourself, get yourself tested and put yourself in quarantine until you really know, right? you know, and that's up to the individuals. But from an event perspective, that's a tricky question because it's also a privacy issue. Mm -hmm. So if the government is not mandating it and if the venue is not facilitating it, it's hard, it's hard for the planners to get involved that way. Thinking back to March, 2020, what was the hardest thing about transitioning from all in person to all virtual? The hardest thing was people's comfort level Mm. with technology and understanding how that all worked. I had a large client event for 300 people that was scheduled for the end of March, 2020. And we made a decision before everything had to be shut down. We, we made the decision to, to cancel the event but I had already had a 60 page journal done for them. We had already you know, done a lot of fundraising and we had to communicate to the guests that unfortunately we're not able to have this event. Here's our sponsor journal. These are who's being honored. This is the cause, this is the funding we've raised. If for some reason you would like your sponsorship back returned, We understand, and this is how to do it. Um, We gave everybody the opportunity to do that. Some people wanted the money back, which was interesting. Most of them didn't because it was for a not-for-profit, but that was within two weeks. We just had to unravel everything that we'd spent nine months working on. The other events that were planned for the spring, we just took them virtual right away and getting involved with a good audiovisual company and knowing how to have everything filmed and being able to effectively tell your story on video. So I spent a lot of time learning other virtual platforms. One of them offered networking and you have your 60 second speed dating and and just, and demoing all of this stuff. And, And we did it and it was great. And it was really effective and people had a good time, but the challenge was getting people used to looking in the camera. How do you enable your microphone? It took many, many months to get groups of people to know how to do that. Last October, I I attended a virtual conference that I never would have attended in person, but I was like, oh, it's virtual. It's not that much money because it's virtual. And the amount of FaceTime that I got with people that if I was at a conference of 500, 600, 700 people, I never would have found that person in the crowd. But, But the way the platform was set up at the networking events, I could see who was networking in which rooms. And then I could strategically go into that room and be like, hi, I'm Julie Brown. I wanted to join this conversation. That for me was like virtual networking and and conferencing was so effective for me that I'm a little bit leery of like going back and trying to like find people at a conference full of, you know, 500, 600 people. But you're right. There are so many platforms and you have to pick the right platform for what you want to accomplish 
on with your conference as an event manager and designer, do you help organizations pick the platform that they'll be using? I do. I do. And, and it doesn't have to be like super complex either. A well-crafted and a well-organized Zoom session with specific breakouts can check the boxes for some organizations, or there are other platforms that enable you to have lounge rooms and breakouts and to, to watch a video and to click in and out of sponsor expo booths and mm-hmm. have live chats with people. So, and they're evolving. Even the platform that I used last spring has met, been through so many new generations now so right. that you're constantly having to relearn all of this stuff. So I think this made people more effective networkers because they're on a time limit. They're face-to-face with you. It's an intense, let's say a five minute conversation as opposed to being at a conference where there's all this other white noise around you, people Mm -hmm. walking by, somebody passing a tray of hors d'oeuvres. It's a lot more dedicated time face-to-face. And every, anybody who's gone to conferences or large events knows that they're exhausting, especially a multi-day conference, a three-day conference where you fly out the day before, you go to the conference for three days, you you rush to catch your plane, you come home, like you are, you are spent for the next two days. It's so exhausting and taxing. I didn't get that in online conferencing because I was fully present. I cleared my schedule. I was fully exactly. Present. And when the conference was over, it was over. Right. <laughs> you know? But I've been on, on networking conferences where when I'm speaking with somebody, I'll find them on LinkedIn immediately and shoot off a connection. Whereas if you're in person, I mean, how many stacks of business cards do you come home with from these things? Right. And after a while, it's like, who was this guy again? Yep. Where was I when I spoke to him? You know? Yeah. So my little trick for grabbing business cards at when you meet somebody at a conference is I immediately on the back of their business card, I write down the date and then like a couple of the things. Me too. I do the same thing. Yeah. So if I'm on the plane or the train or whatever coming home, I'd be like, oh yeah, I talked to this guy about this and then I can write an email. Um, So people do that if you're going back to conferencing, because we're all out of practice. We're all out of practice. Right. Right. We're all out of practice. (laughs) Do you think because of how effective we were in virtual conferencing, it's going to be hard to go back to all in-person conferencing? Like, like, I don't look at a year down the road. I mean, a year ago, right. We we didn't even have a vaccine. Right. So we were going through the summer and all the numbers were coming down and we were starting to hear that this vaccine was working and, you know, they're working on it. So now a year later, we had about, I don't know, six weeks of the numbers are going down and this is awesome and this is all working yeah. to, oops, we have Delta coming up now. So you can't even project yeah. what next spring will look like. So all you have to do is plan for the worst mm-hmm. and make sure you've got all of your components ready to roll in either direction. So it makes a lot more work for everyone involved with these. Right. But I think at the end of the day, there will always be moving forward some sort of virtual component to meetings and conferences and events. I think so too. Why not? I mean, we've done it. It's working. It's just another way to connect with people. So what's bad about that? If you have something large coming up, you're trying to do it hybrid for the first time. What are the best things that people can ask event planners going forward to make sure that's the right person for them to help them out? Communication is the primary component that any good planner should have with a client and with the people who are attending the event and being completely um, thoughtful 
in your process of how you're doing this. And don't assume that things will just get better. Plan, plan for it to be an issue. And then if you don't have to, walk it back and great. But at least you have something in place. You've got your plan A, your plan B, and your plan C. Mm -hmm. And being as um, clear as possible with your messaging to your attendees, to your speakers. So this speaker is located out of town and we have to fly this person in and they're our keynote. Well, okay, why don't we pre-record this person in their location giving their keynote speech so that if they can't physically get to my event, mm-hmm. we just run their video. And I don't have to have them live and in person doing their big keynote because what if the, their Wi-Fi drops or what if we lose electricity? Right. So at least you have that packaged. And if you want to bring them in live afterwards for a Q&A, great. But at least you don't have everything hinging on someone's capabilities and technology. Yes, that is my biggest fear as a keynote speaker is that my Wi-Fi will drop out in the middle of a speech. It's, it's akin to like passing out on stage. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not, you know? There's only so much you can plan for and being flexible and, and looking at things in a very realistic way. You, you can't just hope that something's going to work. You have to, you have to expect that it won't and plan mm-hmm. accordingly. Right. Yeah, I think this is all great information because I know a lot of organizations are trying to figure out, especially now with everything being in a state of, we don't know what's happening, the numbers are going up, but but us as a society are like, we're not locking down. I can imagine right now planning an event for November, December, January, February must be so nerve wracking right now. It is, it's not fun. (laughs) It's not fun, but- What I've seen is how everybody is just completely sympathetic. We're all on the same team. We're all living this same life, honestly. So if things have to shift around or the timing changes or things get canceled and rescheduled, people have to just be nimble and chill out about how this may look. Mm -hmm. What would look bad is if you had something and did it irresponsibly. Right. And yes. Right. That's the worst. So being as as mindful as you can about everybody and their time and their constraints and sensitive to what they've already gone through in life. So So you just said this is not fun right now because everything's stressful and up in the air. What is the most fun thing about planning events? Oh, being creative and making something out of nothing. Like that's, I love that. Just somebody coming to me with an idea and then we execute it. Um, The most fun I've had I planned a corporate holiday event for a bank for 1500 people. And we took over an entire venue and there was a theme celebrating the region where the bank was. And then in each room, we had little micro themes. So we broke it down by various culinary creations and and lounge rooms and activities based on all the little areas within the region. And it was so fun and so phenomenal and just visually everything was just gorgeous and people had a wonderful time and today okay I'm going to plan an event for 1500 people it's just the thought process that you have to go through now aside from just fluidly getting everybody checked in seamlessly and not Mm -hmm. having any backlogs or any worries at, at the desk now it's just it's a health issue 
Yeah. And how will the food be served? And, and who will be manning the buffet station? And are, what are your touch points? And how many staff are involved? And, and are they wearing masks? And are your staff vaccinated? It's a whole other level now. But you can still do something that's fun. You just have to figure out a way to make it that way. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to work with someone like yourself, with a professional to help you. I mean, it's it's too much work to do right. it on your own. So. I always said, you know, when it comes to planning events and and, and hiring the right uh, team behind it, you, you don't hire a plumber to do your taxes. <laughs> right. So <Yeah. laughs> the marketing departments that are out there, they have their jobs to do. They have their day to day jobs to do. So if somebody in corporate leadership says, hey, you know what, I want to run a, a golf outing figured out it blows their mind I mean it's a scary thing to do so I think you know my job and 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 planners in general our job is to make you look good Mm -hmm. is to make your life easy and less stressful so just the same way I'm not going to rip out my own drywall (laughs) right yeah yeah, I've planned a number of events, been on a committee for this and a committee for that. And I just, even just listening to you, my life would have been so much easier if we just had a professional to walk us through that process. It is. It's a process and it's a formula. Mm-hmm. And that's why people do what they do. They hire professionals if they want things done in, in a right way. And at the end of the day, it winds up saving the client's money because you're not making um, decisions that end up being costly for nothing. Right, right. This is all great advice. Thank you so much. I'm going to put links to all things Hillary Needle in the show Thanks, notes. Julie. People will be able to find you because they will need you for the <laughs> upcoming event, <laughs> virtual, hybrid, whatever it is. Yeah, it, this was great to chat. And yeah. and look, it's, it's an evolving scenario across the board. So all we can do is just stay on top of the latest technology and the guidance and, and be smart and communicate as best we can with everybody who's looking to us for guidance. So we'll get back to parties. We'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Bye. Bye. In addition to that large conference I attended in Vegas in July, I've also attended a number of smaller events. And I will say that each one has come with varying levels of stress. Some were indoors, which stressed me out. Some were with people I didn't know particularly well, which created a level of stress. And some of the ones I signed up for actually ended up being canceled altogether due to the increase in COVID cases. What we do know is that we're not out of the woods. We don't even know where the edge of the woods is. Maybe the edge keeps moving. So the only thing we can keep doing in regards to conferences and events is like Hillary said, plan for the best and plan for the worst at the same time. Have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, and hope you don't get to C. Where all things big and small fall apart is if there's a lack of communication. So communicate with your members and attendees more than you think you need to. Communicate with them so much that they say, all right, I get it. I'd rather have you err on the side of over-communicating so that you ensure that you are taking care of your attendees and addressing their concerns because they will have questions and concerns. In America alone, the convention industry is a $100 billion industry and it is hurting. We have to get back to conferences and events, but they will look different. Hand sanitizers will be placed everywhere, 
Tables that would seat eight people might now only seat four. Large convention centers may have every other row blocked off. Room sizes will have to increase to allow for social distancing. Having some way of indicating your level of comfort with handshakes, close conversations, etc. Traditionally popular locations in dense urban areas might not be the way to go for a while, with people deferring to smaller, more rural convention locations, temperature checks at the door, or proof of vaccination prior to arrival. The truth is we don't know. We've never done this before. Hillary has been planning events for more than 20 years. Like she said, she doesn't hire a plumber to do her taxes, so if you have an important event coming up, work with a professional so that you can address all of the things, big and small, that will make your event a success, whether that event is in-person, hybrid, or virtual. Like it or not, we're not going back to pre-2020 normal anytime soon. So we need as many tools as possible to navigate as we try to desperately get back to being together again. In the spirit of hoping that we get back to traveling for conferences and events again soon, the drink of the week comes with a story. I have a client in Seattle, an architecture firm, and one of the architects, Jerry, sent me this story and this drink recipe. His email said, I was an invited speaker to an arts festival set at Arcosanti in the Arizona desert called Form. Glamping, amazing music, sustainability summits, community activists, all under the big umbrella of the arts. There was a rooftop lounge for the talent, that was me for the long weekend, which featured free organic food and nice drinks. The specialty of the house was a cocktail that I had never had before, the Mezcal Negroni. Here's the recipe. One ounce of Mezcal, one ounce of Campari, one ounce of sweet vermouth. To make it, you add the Mezcal, Campari, and sweet vermouth to a mixing glass with ice and stir until well chilled, and then strain into a rocks glass over one large ice cube and garnish with a half an orange reel. A little history lesson here on the Negroni, as told by Liquor.com. The Negroni is three ingredients and dates back to the early 20th century. As the story goes, the Italian Count Camillo Negroni was at Bar Cassoni in Florence and requested a stronger cocktail than his usual Americano, which is a classic mixture of sweet vermouth, Campari, and sparkling water. Happy to oblige, the barkeeper replaced the water with gin assembling the drinks in equal parts and forever improving the world's drink repertoire. The Mezcal Negroni is a seemingly simple take on the classic, but subbing the agave spirit for gin creates a drink that is a significant departure from the original. If we are all able to work in person again someday, I am definitely flying to Seattle and enjoying a couple of these with the Olsen Kunding team. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here, for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the podcast. I appreciate it all. Until next week, cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.